to another episode of Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Matt Breen. Bob Brookover is to my left. Scott Lawver is to my right. We're here at Citizens Bank Park. Phillies, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday night. The Phillies just lost to the Washington Nationals in 10 innings. And I think the biggest takeaway from this game was not the bullpen that blew the game because the bullpen that blew the game was a lot of guys that aren't that don't usually pitch in these big situations, but it was a guy that pitched the first six-plus innings of tonight's game, Aaron Nola. Scott, you, you wrote a lot about Aaron Nola. He gave up three home runs tonight or two home runs tonight. He's given up five in his first three starts. To you, is the home runs a, a concern right now? Yeah, I think um, the the home runs are certainly a concern. It kind of takes me back to the end of last year where you know, he had that – uh, that slate of starts where he seemed to be giving up more home runs. I thought maybe it was fatigue last year. Um, it was his first, you know, 200 plus inning season. And I wonder if we're seeing any carryover from that now. Um, he says he feels healthy. He says he feels strong. And, you know, I mean, he looked fine in spring training. You know, there were no indications that there was any of that. But his innings did take a jump last year, and maybe there's going to be an effect of that, and maybe we're seeing a little of that now. Uh, you know, I thought those two pitches, especially in the seventh inning, one was a fastball that I think it was 89 or 88. It really didn't have a whole lot of life on it. And the other one, the one to Hallie Kendrick, was just the hanging curveball, as, as Nola described it. And it was definitely a pitch that, you know, was teed up for Kendrick to hit out. Not the kind of pitch that Nola made very often last year, so... Uh, it's three starts now where it's not been very NOLA-like. And I think, you know, for all the positives that we've talked about for the first 10 games, you've got to wonder uh, what sort of uh, state Aaron Nola's in. And if it's not, uh, if it's not NOLA-esque, they're in, they're in some trouble. Bob, it's been three not Aaron Nola-esque starts. Is it time to be worried about Aaron Nola or is it still April 10th and it's, it's not time to hit the panic button? I would not hit a panic button at this point, mostly because I just thought he was a lot better in this start than, than he had been in his previous start in D.C. You know, he got a win on opening day. He wasn't great. He walked five that day, but he got a win that day. And, you know, he only went back out in the seventh inning because he had looked so good for, for six and he should have only really given up one run. Bryce, Bryce Harper should have probably caught that ball in the first inning uh, that, that led to the Nats' first run. But, you know, I wouldn't be overly concerned after three starts with, with Aaron Nola. Um, I think, if anything, to take, take away from this loss, which is by far the Phillies' worst of their three losses on the season, was that, you know, Gabe had a shorthanded bullpen, and I don't think he asked for enough from Sir Anthony Dominguez on a night when, when you were short. If you could get him through the seventh and, and eighth, then maybe you can rely on Hector Naris in the ninth. But he he was in a bad situation to begin with, and it's I think it's just concerning that you know you got three guys. Maybe he misused the bullpen before that, asked for too much from those other guys. That you you can't have three guys down in one day. That you know, especially in an era when you're carrying eight guys in your bullpen. Yeah, I think it's. It's okay to have three down in one day, but you can't have three down in one day when, when this is – it just shows how thin this bullpen is. And that that's when you go down three guys, this is what you're turning to. And, and you mentioned Sir Anthony Dominguez. He pitched the final two outs of the seventh inning, and it seems like they're almost being careful with him, and they're they're trying to tread lightly with him to build his confidence up. Do you, Bob, have, have you 
what, what have you seen the last two nights from Serenthi Dominguez compared to what we saw last week? He's, he's definitely looked a lot more like himself. Uh, you know, his ball, ball seems to be moving more. Uh, and he's, he's vital to, you know, this team. But, you know, Gabe is in, in part of the reason they got into this dilemma is because Gabe has been trying to uh, get guys regaining confidence uh, in the early stages of the season because Robertson got off to such a bad start. Sir Anthony got off to such a bad start. I mean, but it was small samples. Um, and I just don't think you worry too much about their confidence at this point. That You don't necessarily have to use them when you have a four-run lead or a five-run deficit just to get their confidence back. You know, you need to use these guys and, like, as they say, high-leverage situations. Uh, and, I th- you know, I think that's what he needs to go do going forward. Don't worry about a guy's confidence. These guys are being paid to get big outs. Use them to get the big outs, and don't try to build their confidence up. Try to get them. Try to give them the ball when the game is on the line. The day before Aaron Nola pitched, we saw Vince Velasquez pitch, and I thought the most important thing of his stat line was the zero under walks. It seemed like every start last year was troubled by a high pitch count, a lot of walks, almost that he was trying to strike everybody out, afraid to pitch the contact. Scott, you watched Velasquez pitch on Monday night. You watched Nola pitch on Tuesday night. Is the what's greater, your optimism for Vince Velasquez or your concern for Aaron Nola? Yeah, it's really hard to say. I'm with you. I think that the zero walks um, was a big thing. For me, I looked at what Velasquez did on Monday night, and I thought, well, that's what a number five starter is supposed to do. He's supposed to keep you in the game long enough to win the game, especially when you have an offense that's, uh, able to put up runs as quickly and powerfully as the Phillies offense. So he gave them kind of what you'd expect out of a number five. Nola did not give them, did not finish what you would expect a number one to do. And and I'll defend Gabe Kapler on his bullpen usage tonight in the sense that, you know, before the game, he was talking about Sir Anthony Dominguez Monday night and how, you know, he brought him in in the sixth inning of a tie game and while it was not quite uh, as high leverage of a situation as he normally faces, it was still a fairly high leverage. I mean, mistake one way or the other, and they lose that game on Monday. And so, you know, he's looking for kind of a way to to build Sir Anthony's arm strength, not, not to mention his confidence. And, you know, when Nola's cruising the way he was, I mean, my, my entire story tonight was all about kind of built around the strikeout of Soto to end the sixth and how it looked so much like Nola of last year. And maybe he was sort of turning the corner and, you know, of course you're going to bring that guy back out to start the seventh inning and, and let him go and turn him loose. Uh, I think he finished tonight with 99 pitches. I think one thing Gabe Kapler's shown over the last year plus is that he's willing to let Nola go through a lineup a third time and sometimes even a fourth time. So I didn't, you know, I didn't think that there was any question you bring him out for the seventh inning with a four-run lead, and, you know, your ace has to finish that job. And so for as good as he looked, for the most part, for six innings, that seventh inning really leaves a sour taste, and you need so much more from him than that. You need him to do what he did last year, which is finish the job. Scott, could you uh, could you send me that story to my email? Because I'm sure probably didn't see the light of day in the newspaper after after that fall from ahead disaster that we saw this evening and is 
leading to part of the reason why we're so punch drunk doing this podcast this evening. Anyway. Anyway, like you said, it was, it was the third loss of the season. They still won seven of the first ten games. Um, Bob, what, from this lineup, is it, what has been the most, the biggest thing that stood out to you, especially at the top of that order? I, I don't think it's just the top of the order. It's the, whole, it's the whole order except for Cesar Hernandez. Everybody in this order is hitting. I mean, Mike Alfranco hits another home run. Bryce Harper should have been the story of that game, hitting another home run, facing Steven Strasburg for the first time. He, he gets three straight change-ups, and he hits the third one into the, the opposite field for a home run. Uh, like you said, Hoskins, you know, he, he they can't get him out, you know, and that was an amazing thing. They were pitching around Harper. They won't pitch to Harper, and that leaves them having to deal with, with Hoskins. So it's a pick-your-poison lineup. Segura has been great. McCutcheon's average isn't that high, but it seems like whenever they need him to get on base, he does, and he did it again tonight ahead of Segura's triple. Um, you know, it's just a – it's a, and even Ramuto seems to be heating up a little bit. He got three hits in the in the loss. I mean, there were, there were a million reasons to talk about their offense even again in this loss, but in those – Seven wins, except for a few of them, except for maybe one or two of them. The story is the offense, and I don't think that story is changing all year long. We were, we're 10 games in, and I think 150 games from now, we'll still be talking about the Phillies' offense. He talked about Cesar Hernandez and his struggles. I mean, he came out of the lineup for a day. He's still struggling when he came back. Scott, what is your long-term prognosis for Cesar Hernandez? How do you, if you were a manager of the Phillies right now, how do you handle the situation? So there was a question about this in the Extra Innings newsletter the other day. And, you know, it was the person was wondering about Scott Kingery and his playing time. And I my, my opinion is this, um, you know, Gabe Kapler can talk about how Cesar Hernandez is his starting second baseman. But that's where Scott Kingery's at bats are going to come from. I think if 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 Hernandez doesn't uh, doesn't get a little hot here and at least start reaching base at a higher a higher clip. Um, you know, I think that's where Kingery's going to play. He's going to play more second base, and he's going to find his way into the lineup that way. He got two hits last night. They want uh, Monday night. They want him to uh, to have a third because they're trying to appeal uh, a play where he reached on an error. Um, you know, and yet Hernandez plays tonight. Well, you know, a week from now, two weeks from now, if Kingery is hitting, um, I don't know that they'll be as quick to go right back to Hernandez. That's just kind of my my thinking on it, and they keep saying they want to get Kingery in the lineup, they want to get him in the lineup. Uh, well, there's one area to get him in there, and that's second base if Cesar's struggling. So, you know, that to me is is kind of worth watching as we go forward in the next few weeks just to see because they have a viable option at second base if the current second baseman doesn't start hitting, and I think they'll start to use that more and more. That extra innings newsletter is a good newsletter. And who's, I don't know who's got to do it tonight, but I pity the fool. <laughs> who's got to work on that okay. newsletter? Matt Breen, Matt Breen is up in the order, and it's not a good night to be up in the order because it's 12-13, and he's still got to do a newsletter in the next few hours. You mentioned that most of Scott Kingery's at-bats would come at second base. It's funny because I, I bet if you went back in the archives, we probably talked on, our, on the first podcast that most of his at-bats would come at third base because – Nobody expected Mike Alfranco to hit four home runs, batting in the eight hole. Bob Brookover, I asked Scott Lauber if he was the manager of the Phillies, what he would do at second base. If you were the manager of the Phillies, what would you do with Mike Alfranco in the eight hole? I think I, based on just what Mike Al's done in the eight hole, I would let him continue to hit there for a while. Uh, 
He's he's seen enough pitches to drive him out of the park. You know, he's he's been outstanding at the eight spot. So why change that if you don't have to? I mean, it, there may come a time where you say, all right, we want to move him up a little bit and see how productive he can be there. Maybe we'll get even more pitches to hit. But right now, I, I wouldn't mess with that. As far as the second base thing, you know, I still think Cesar just has earned the right to try to work his way out of this a, a little bit. Uh, you know, it, he he had he's played well for this team for two of the last three years. He didn't have a great year last year, but he had a decent start and a bad finish like so many of them. Uh, you know, I think if we're still talking about this in the middle of May, then I might be more inclined to say, hey, you know what, it's time to, to look at Scott Kingery. But Scott Kingery's chance is going to – is going to come at second base at some point. You know, they're, they're not going to keep Cesar here forever. Uh, so it, it is going to come at some point because they still like him. He's under contract for a long time. And he has an extended deal. You know, he's just got to bide his time. And, and when he does get in, do what he did. When he got in and made his first start, he got a couple hits. As, as Scott pointed out, that's what he has to do. You know, you, you can hit your way into a lineup. And every chance he gets, that's what he's got to do. You know, so I was just thinking, we're talking about the, the we started this talking about the bullpen and and what they did or didn't do tonight. Don't you think that the biggest fans of the Phillies bullpen are the 1897 Phillies? Because we're not for David Robertson walking in the winning run the other day in Washington and them doing what they did tonight. Those 1897 Phillies would be bumped right off the second best 10 game start in Philly's history at 8-1-1, one, and one, they'd be really, really regretting that tie because these guys would be 9-1. and one. I mean, they should be 9-1, and one, right, if their bullpen um, had done its job in the late innings. So can you imagine, I mean, 7-3, and three, and we're talking about a really good start, but 9-1, and one, if they were able to take care of business in the late innings, um, you know, and, and you can just imagine kind of what, you know, what people are thinking about as they head into – you know, a finale now of a series and then a, a, a real road trip, a series in, in Miami. You know, I'm not going to be like a bullpen alarmist and say, well, they got to go out and sign Craig Kimbrell right now. But and we're going to get emails about that and and people are going to want to know about that. But, you know, they, they take care of business in the ninth inning in a couple of games and they're nine and one. Yeah, well, I'll just point out that the 1897 Phillies could have been nine and one, too, if they had the shootout. But that's all I'm going to say. Cover that? That? Uh, several times. You brought up a certain closer who's a free agent who, yes, on a long-term long term deal, it doesn't make sense to sign him. But on a short one-year deal, if he's willing to sign a one-year deal, not just of what happened Tuesday night, but Craig uh, Kit Kimbrell, based on what we've seen in the first 10 games, plus the fact that Tommy Hunter is who knows when he's coming back. So that's one guy that's already down in this bullpen. If they can get him on a one-year deal, it would be – I'd be a stat. I think that is like the move that, if it's possible, it has to happen. Bob, what do you think? Uh, you know, it, it it depends on the price and it depends on, you know, like I said, a one like you said, a one year deal. Yes, I would I would do it. What a one year deal? What what's the number? What's the number for that one year deal? I'll ask you that. Who cares? Well, do you, you care if it's twenty five million dollars? Well, no, because that would, anything that keeps you a reasonable one year deal, say twelve. I you know I don't think Kimball's going to sign for twelve. Yeah, I mean, I mean he would. That would just be from his end, just complete admission of defeat. And you're going to have to come up with a big number for one year. If he's waited this long, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to the middle of the season 
not signed. Maybe it goes the entire season and says, you know what? The principle of this whole thing, it happened to football with Le'Veon Bell. You know, guys could just say, you know what? It's not worth it to me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting what I feel is my fair market value. I want to say he made like 13 or or 14 last year. So I got to think it starts there. Um, you know, it is April 10th. If he signed tomorrow, would he be ready before May 1st? You know, I mean, if you're not ready before May 1st, can you really demand a full year's salary? Um, so, so much goes into this. But I think the question you have to ask yourself is, uh, do you want to jump at the chance to sign Craig Kimbrell for whatever the number is? And maybe that limits you in July to go get a starter, which you might also need. Or do you want to maintain that flexibility and decide in June or July what's the bigger need? bullpen or starting pitching because I still believe they're going to need another starter uh, if they really want to win the World Series or get to where they ultimately want to be. And that may become the more pressing of the two needs. So, you know, to go and jump at Kimbrel now, you might hamstring yourself later on. And I'll just, I'll, I'll throw this in. Kimbrel made 13 million, 13 million last year is made 13.25, uh, two years ago. So he's not taking 12 million. He's I'm guessing he wants at least 15 million. I don't, you know, if he starts before June 1st, he's going to, he's going to want that 13 million. He's going to want more money than he made last year. He's currently making $0 million in 2019. And he's also already already made $55 million. (laughs) And I think you can live comfortably even with a year off for Bob Brookover and Scott Lauber. I'm Matt Breen. This is another episode of Extra Innings. In the meantime, this this also this might have been the best episode of Extra Innings ever. It was the first one that started on a night and ended in early morning, so it's got to be the best. In the meantime, subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcast. Leave a review. Leave a rating. Let us know how we're doing. If the audio is a problem, we have good news. We're getting new audio equipment this week, so next episode should be our first one with our new audio equipment and also (laughs) subscribe to extra readings the newsletter at philly.com slash newsletter thanks a lot see you next time extra readings peace out